Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Well, I've known uh, our guest speaker this morning uh, and don't really feel like he's a guest. He feels like a brother from another mother in so many ways. Uh, we've pr prayed together, laughed together, cried together. We've been in the trenches together uh, during the unrest at Sherman Park uh, on three years ago. Pastor Matt Erickson is the leading pastor, the lead pastor. So he's a lead man in many ways. He leads that congregation, which is a multi-ethnic expression uh, on the uh, northeast side of Milwaukee that are proclaiming and embodying the love of Jesus Christ in our city and in our world. Uh, he is also a, the leading man in the life of his wife, Kelly, and their three boys. Is that right? And uh, we pray for you, Sister uh, Kelly. Hopefully you have your own bathroom in the house where you live, because I know the toilet seat can be a challenge when you have boys around. Uh, but he is also more than that. He's a leading voice in our community uh, and a voice of integrity, a voice of wisdom, uh, uh, not only on biblical issues, he's a, he's a prolific teacher of the word of God, but he's also a, uh, just a, a sound uh, voice of wisdom for me on many issues that I've uh, had to address, uh, but also the issues that uh, deal with reconciliation and justice and applying biblical truth to a lot of the issues that our society faces today. He and I were uh, co-conveners of the Milwaukee Declaration and uh, he still serves uh, as vice president of the Milwaukee Declaration. Uh, I wanted Pastor Matt to be here today uh, because, as you know, at Parklawn, we have been focusing on um, just releasing the, the compassion of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ to our neighbors, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And uh, he and his church are also in that journey along with other churches in the Milwaukee Declaration. So I wanted him to come and lend his voice to us today. So let's put our hands together and let's welcome Pastor Matt Erickson from Eastbrook Church as he comes. Well, good morning, Park Lawn. I feel so honored by that introduction. And for the chance to be with you together today. I've been, I've been in this building so many times, but I have never been here on a weekend service. So I felt like I was coming home or like to a second home. Uh, but man, I just feel blessed to uh, open the word with you this morning. Uh, my church where I serve is Eastbrook Church over on Green Bay Avenue. And so I just want to bring, bring a big greetings from Eastbrook to this whole family here. If you just receive a, a high five and a hug from Eastbrook this morning, we, uh, we love you. 
We love you. And uh, thankfully, uh, we do keep the boys in another bathroom. Uh, they do not uh, contaminate uh, where my wife will be. Uh, let's pray as we uh, spend some time in the Word of God together. Let me just uh, lead us in prayer. God, we want to thank you today that you are a good God. We want to thank you that you're a merciful God and that your steadfast love is new every morning. Well, we're coming here at Sunday morning, and this is the time we would expect to gather. But Lord, each and every day, each and every moment, your love is sufficient for us. Your grace is abounding towards us, and your mercy covers over us. And we just want to thank you for that. We want to thank you this morning, Lord, that your word is true, that it is a light to our feet, it is a lamp unto our path. We want to thank you, that uh, Holy Spirit, that you are present and powerful to lead us into all truth, to shine the light of the word and make it real in our lives, and that you shape us and mold us and you empower us and give us gifts that we might join with you, Lord, in your work in the world. And so, Lord, we're here today. We are eager for a word from you. And my prayer, God, is that you would give me grace that as I spend time on this platform here that I might disappear, that I might grow small and I might decrease so that you, Lord, would increase that we would hear from you, that we would see you, that we would be changed by you. And that's a work that only you can do. So, Lord, meet with us this morning. Receive the glory this morning. Receive the attention from our hearts and our minds this morning. And as we attend to your word, uh, may we be transformed through it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together? Amen. 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 Well, I'm a I'm a Midwestern boy who grew up in the, in the shadow of the Mississippi River. I grew up in the uh, area called the Quad Cities in Illinois and Iowa. Anybody ever heard of that area? Okay, it's just like small town America. I grew up in a, in a place where it was a small town. It was a little city called Rock Island, Illinois. And one of the things I learned from my parents really early is what it meant to be a neighbor. And I understand that Park Lawn's spending some time talking about being a neighbor, and Eastbrook's been spending time talking about what it means to be a neighbor. And I grew up with a family where we had folks all around us who we were neighbors to. I think there were things I just picked up from my mom and dad about what it meant to love people. I think of Doreen, who lived next door to us. Doreen was a single woman in her 60s. We cut her grass. We helped out when her uh, appliances broke and did things like that. I think of uh, the widows who lived next to us, uh, Lou Hillen, and then succeeded by another widow, Judy Flaherty, when Lou passed away, and the things that we just uh, did life together with them. I think of uh, two sisters who lived just a couple doors down from us, Gladys and Lillian, who became like surrogate grandmothers to us. Every Christmas morning, we go down there and spend Christmas with these two sisters in their older years, celebrating Christ together. It was kind of like old town America in some ways. I learned these things from my parents that you, you just know people, you let them know you, you serve people, you let them serve you as well. But the reality is this, in, in the world we live in today, it feels like, I don't know if anybody else feels this, but that there has been a breakdown. There's a breakdown in what it means to be a neighbor today. There's a breakdown in knowing other people and being known by other people. There's a breakdown that's led us to stereotype people, to sometimes prejudge people, and sometimes erect barriers between us and other people that is definitely not good for society and is definitely not for us as followers of Jesus, what Jesus would call us to do. And in the divided times in which we find ourselves, I start to ask myself a question. 
in these divided times, in these tense times, in our own city of Milwaukee and around our nation, maybe even around the world, in divided times like this, I'm asking myself a question. Does what we've learned about Jesus have anything to do with being a neighbor? Does what God has shown us in Jesus Christ, our salvation and the good works, does it have anything to do with being a neighbor just right where we live each and every day of the week? Well, you might say, Matt, you're a pastor. You should know better than this. Because Jesus said in Luke 10, 27, love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard that before, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's that story of when Jesus was talking about that, and, and there was a man who was nearby, and it said that he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked, well, who is my neighbor? And you know why he was asking that question? Not because he wanted to have a bigger view of what it meant to be a neighbor, but so that he could cut off certain people from being his neighbor. So he could build a wall and he could erect things that would hinder him from interacting with someone else and seeing them and knowing them and reaching out to them and letting them reach out to him so that he might extend what Jesus had said, the love of God is supposed to touch the life of your neighbor. So I keep asking myself, sometimes, am I justifying myself? That's the thing you don't want to say amen to. You're like, oh, Lord have mercy. Am I justifying myself in light of Jesus' teaching to love my neighbor? Am I the man who says, but really, who is my neighbor, Jesus? In the times of division, in the times of the heat going up in our city, I have to ask myself, what does Jesus' commandments have to do with living out my faith here and now, right in the literal place where I live, right next door to my neighbor and others I spend time with? Well, as we're going to journey this morning, I just hope that you can capture with me that this great reality is true, that because God became our loving neighbor in Jesus Christ, we are both called and empowered to become lovers of our neighbor as well. Let me just say that one more time. Because God became our loving neighbor in Jesus Christ, then we are both called and strengthened to also love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? Are you still with me this morning? I hope so, because I'm just getting started. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1. It's a familiar passage, the very beginning of the Gospel of John. We hear these words in John chapter 1, verse 14. It's just a verse I want to spend a little bit of time in this morning as we walk through this portion of Scripture. It says this in John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm reading out of the NIV right now. It says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love this verse. I hope I never get over it. It says the Word. Some of us who've been in church know that that's referring to Jesus, but let's just pretend we don't know that for a minute, because that that literal word in in Greek, logos, means this. It means a, a, a word literally, but it means sort of the organizing principle around all of existence, the deepest truth that's found in existence. It says this is who Jesus is. He's the revelation of God's mind and heart for humanity. Jesus is the word. He's the message that comes from God, full of grace and truth, and the glory of God being revealed. Now it says this in a different translation, and I hope 
Uh, we can have this on the screen too. It's a contemporary rendering uh, called The Message. It's a paraphrase. I don't usually study in paraphrases, but I love the way that Eugene Peterson, when he paraphrased the Bible in The Message, John 1.14, it sounds like this. He says, The Word became flesh and blood, and it moved into the neighborhood. Oh, I like that. Can I just read that again? The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Now let's just talk about flesh and blood for just a minute. Because when we hear that, it reminds us of this, that God didn't send an email. God didn't just plaster something on a billboard so we could see it. God didn't send us just a letter, and as powerful as the Word of God is, let me never detract from it, God didn't merely give us a book, God actually became flesh and blood, flesh and bone, and He moved into the neighborhood of humanity. Sometimes, you know, if you need to get somebody to really receive a message, you've got to show up. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes with my kids, I can tell them something, I can text them something, but I know sometimes I've got to come home And I've got to show up for them to really get the message. Well, this is what God does in Jesus Christ. He sends us the prophets. He sends us uh, the covenants. He sends us the word in in the Sinai when when Moses receives the Ten Commandments and all the instructions. We love those things. They They are like fruit from God. They are savory to the soul, and they build us up. But God knew that he ultimately needed to show up right in the midst of where we live. And so Jesus comes born of a virgin, of a human mother, and he grows up. It says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with humanity. And that as he grew up, he walked the dusty kind of places that we live in. He experienced, it says in the book of Hebrews, a testing just like each and every one of us experienced, yet he was without sin. It says that Jesus grew up And that as he lived on this life, right in the ordinary places where we live, in real flesh and bone, not a ghost, not just an appearance, that Jesus took on flesh and bone. He was God showing up, the image of the invisible God drawing near to show us exactly what God was like and to bring that message right where we live. Ooh, God showed up. And it tells us something, that we matter to God. Are we saying earlier this morning about the reckless love of God? And as we were taking that in and as we were reflecting on that and even giving ourselves an embrace to remind us just how much God loves us, God came near in Christ. He took on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood so that we would understand just how real and how deep the love of God is for human beings. You know the story he went to the cross to show us that nothing could separate us from the love of God. He drew near and took the weight of sin and evil upon himself at the cross so that we might have life. Jesus came close and then he won the victory over sin, evil, and death and he burst forth in resurrection life so that he might show us how far God would go to bring victory and hope and new beginnings into our life. And he breathed the Holy Spirit upon his disciples so that they would not be alone. He would say, it's better for me to go back to the Father because now the Spirit is coming to live right in your flesh and bone by faith. Something good is happening. Something powerful is happening, amen, when Jesus comes into the neighborhood. God wants to be in our midst. He wants to show up with you and me. Do you know that God wants to show up with you? Do you know that God wants to show up with me? That he wants to show up with each and every human being who's ever walked 
the face of the earth, God came near because God himself became our neighbor. He moved into the neighborhood. Nothing has ever been the same. Now, I don't know how long each of you have been in Milwaukee, but we moved up here in 2003 from Chicagoland. Don't worry, I'm not a Cubs fan. I'm a White Sox fan. Sorry. Southside sluggers. We moved into Milwaukee in 2003. We were getting to know our neighbors. You know that awkward feeling when you move into the neighborhood and nobody knows who you are and they have those kind of people kind of walk by and they're like looking at your house, <laughs> checking you out. They're seeing what you're moving in, how big's your TV or whatever, you know. We're moving in and talking with people around us. And I remember a conversation I had with somebody who lived across the street. And they said, oh, well, what brings you up to Milwaukee? Now, I had gotten a job as a pastor working with college students in the city. And uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. Everybody, you know, there's like this step back moment. Because it became uncomfortable, right? There's that moment when... People get to know something about you, and they can either step forward and say, ooh, I like that, or they can step back. Now, what happens with Jesus, takes on flesh and bone, grows up in the midst, and every episode of Jesus' life is him getting to know people and him stepping forward. He just steps right forward into the life of the woman who had a flow of blood, she touches his garment trying to stay secret, and Jesus, he goes everywhere searching for her. He just keeps stepping forward until finally she can't handle the pressure anymore. And she says, it was me. You healed me uh, sort of by accident when I touched your robe. And he speaks right to her. Uh, she was an outcast before, but he, he shows up and he steps forward into her life. Think of the woman whose son had died. She was a widow, and Jesus is walking into the village when there is a funeral procession with this dead boy's body in it, and Jesus steps forward into the uncleanness of death, according to the Jewish law, and he steps forward and brings resurrection power to this boy, and he brings restoration into this widow's life because she had no hope of, of sort of stability in the future. Jesus just keeps stepping forward. Nothing that we speak to Jesus causes him to step back. Oh, I, I didn't expect that. Oh, I, I don't really like that. I don't want to touch that. Jesus doesn't keep stepping back into the outer darkness. No, he just keeps stepping forward and just keeps showing up in our lives. I don't know about you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but there are moments that I've had in my life where I think, well, this has happened. There's no way Jesus is stepping forward here. But he just keeps showing up. He just keeps stepping forward. Sometimes it's to heal. Sometimes it's to correct. Sometimes it's to encourage. Sometimes it's to humble. But Jesus just keeps stepping forward. That's what it means when it says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's how strong the love of God is. That's how powerful the mercy of God is. That's how penetrating is the knowledge of God that moves him into transforming love. Can I get an amen to that today? Oh, it's amazing. It says that he became flesh, moved into the neighborhood, and the old image that that's coming from is in the Old Testament. You may remember the stories that when the people left Exodus and they went to Sinai and received the Ten Commandments, that then God gave instructions for them to build a portable worship center. You didn't know there was portable church before there was portable church. 
They had a portable worship center, and it was called the Tabernacle, and it was the sign that God was with them. Everywhere they'd go, they'd camp, and they'd set it up, and they would worship, and Moses would go close to the Holy of Holies, and he would be there in that place, and they wouldn't go anywhere unless the presence of God was with them. And what John 1.14 is saying, kind of conjuring up that in the back of our minds, is that there used to be a tabernacle, but now the tabernacle is Jesus, and he just keeps stepping forward and showing up again and again. And the way that he does it is so amazing. It describes it this way in uh, Philippians chapter 2. You've probably heard this passage before. Paul is talking. I know you've been going through Philippians at Aspire, so hopefully... There's a little overlap here. You may remember this passage, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. I'll just stop there. What does it look like when God shows up? What does it look like when God takes on flesh and bone? What does it look like when the real tabernacle is dwelling among us in Jesus' flesh and bone? It looks like this. It looks like servant love. It looks like humble love. It looks like giving love. How far will it go? Mm. All the way to the cross and all the way out the other side. What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about the ferocious, unstoppable, unimaginable love of God. And I'm almost tempted to start singing that song again we sang earlier. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending reckless love of God. You know that part of the song where it says there's nothing, you know, no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me? That's what this passage in Philippians 2 is about. That's what John chapter 1 verse 14 is all about. God is unstoppable. He just keeps stepping forward and showing up, stepping forward and showing up in our lives. He became a neighbor to us to transform our lives. Jesus' way of moving into the neighborhood looks like that. Humble, selfless, giving to the nth degree to show us how much God thinks of us and loves us. And if that's all you need to hear today, then just take that message in. Just soak in that. Just, uh, just put the tea bag of your soul in that water and let it just marinate into your existence. Just, just take it in. Because that's enough to just blow our minds. But here's the second part of that. Because... God became our loving neighbor. He invites us as followers of Jesus to also become neighbors to others. He invites us to do exactly what Jesus did, to let our faith take on flesh and bone and move into the neighborhood, right where we live. Anybody have a neighbor? Anybody have neighbors you love? Wow, well, that's bad. We got problems. We're just going to have a prayer meeting right now <laughs> for your housing situation. Anybody have neighbors you don't like? Oh, yeah, I've got some of those. You're like, it's church. Can I raise my hand? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. There's a 
passage here, we've been spending time in John 1.14. It says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, full of grace and truth. As Jesus comes near, he's showing us God's glory and the full radiance of who God is. If we want to know, we say sometimes that, that verse, show me your glory, it looks like Jesus. What does the glory of God look like? Yes, certainly Isaiah chapter 6, I fall on my knees. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But if the full glory of God is revealed to humanity, it looks like Jesus. Selfless, giving, humble love, just overwhelming each and every aspect of our lives. So let's go back to that passage where in Luke chapter 10, Jesus talks about the love for the neighbor. And then he has this man who asks him this question. He says this in Luke chapter 10, 25 to 29. What must I do, teacher, to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right after I went to college, graduated from college, I lived in an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment with a friend of mine. His name was Matt. It was easy for our neighbors. We both had the name Matt. They could guess which one of us it was. We were in that apartment complex. It was just a simple place. And shortly after uh, Matt moved out, then Kelly and I got married, and we moved into this little apartment together. There was a woman right next door to us, Jane. Uh, she grew basil, and, and she, would, she would make, uh, what, what's that called out of that? What do you mean? Pesto, oh yeah, with the basil. She would make it homemade and bring it over to us and share it with us. There was a couple below us who argued so much, and the walls were so thin, even the floor was so thin, we could hear their arguments, and every once in a while I wanted to just chip in and say, that's a bad point, you need to disagree with that. If we sat in our bathroom, which was right above their bathroom, for some reason that was the place where the cigarette smoke came up the most, and it was like you were having a smoke with them just by sitting in your own bathroom. Uh, there was a woman across the way from us. Her name was Elsie. She was old and retired, and every time somebody would throw out a dead plant, she would rescue it and take it into her apartment. I was trying to figure out what she was doing, and Kelly visited her one time, and she had nurtured them all back to life including one that we had thrown out. We didn't ask her for it back. We just let her have it at that point. There was a woman right below us and to the left. Her name was Stephanie. Stephanie was a tough cookie. Stephanie sat out when the weather was good, right out in front of her door on a little folding chair. And every time I'd come home, uh, she would have some negative comment to say. So I tried to, I was going to witness to her and share my faith with her, you know. She knew exactly what I was doing. She would make fun of me. When I would try to turn the conversations to Jesus, she would just make fun of me about that kind of thing. She'd be like, no, nah, that's not happening. That's not happening. She would make fun of my faith. And then finally, I'd just go so worn down. Every time I'd come home, I'd just sit there and just let her talk. I didn't say anything anymore. Just try to get out of the conversation as fast as I could. Anybody ever had those kind of situations with neighbors? I'm just like biding my time. I didn't, I didn't wear a watch, but I was like, Mentally, I'm like, okay, it's about the safe time where I could just go upstairs and go have dinner with my wife. One time, she was talking to me about medications, and she didn't have access to medications that she needed. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry about that. And I started to head up to the stairs, and it was like as if the Holy Spirit just thunderstruck me on the stairs, just stopped me in my tracks and said, are you so dumb that you don't realize I'm giving you an opportunity with Stephanie? <laughs> I went back, and I said, are you, are you asking me for a ride to the drugstore? She said, well, it took you long enough. 
It's like the Holy Spirit was speaking through her. I got my keys upstairs, came back, and took her over to this drugstore where, for, you know, she hadn't called ahead. So for 20 minutes, we're wandering around in the, in the drugstore together, nothing to say to each other, really. Get the prescription she needed, got back in the car, driving on the way back, and I heard something from Stephanie I'd never heard before. She said, thank you. I didn't know what else to say besides you're welcome. We came back, dropped her off, went upstairs. She didn't pray to receive Christ or anything in that moment. But day after day, there began to be an openness. She invited us inside of her apartment to show us some of the pictures from her life and some of the grief points in her life about her husband who'd passed away a lot earlier. She began to soften. And I began to soften because I realized that God had put Stephanie in my life to put me in school about loving my neighbor. Anybody else need to go to school? It might be that the people who are the difficult neighbors, God has put them right next to us so that the faith in our lives might put on flesh and bone and move into our neighborhood. God might have given them to us so that we might become more like Jesus. Anybody want to go to school like that today? Here's the thing. This calling of Christ that he puts on us is a gift. Because the more that God shapes us and molds us around the love of Christ, the more that we move forward in our faith, the more that the word becomes flesh and puts on bone in our lives and moves into our neighborhood, and the more that the glory of God, we begin to taste and see even more what God's glory is really like. This strange glory that's humble love and giving love and selfless love. And the more we experience that and it transforms us, the more the glory of God actually begins to show up right in the ordinary apartment buildings, retirement communities, single-family neighborhoods that we live in, God begins to let his glory shine through ordinary, very humble places and humble lives like ours. That's what God wants to do. He wants to transform our neighborhoods and our city and the surrounding area from the ground up by his people just living out by the power of the Holy Spirit, the word becoming flesh and bone and moving right into our neighborhoods. Now, I'd like to suggest maybe three specific ways that we can maybe take that home and take it to the bank if that's okay. Here's one of them is this. I'd like to encourage us to memorize John 1.14. You might say, Matt, that doesn't seem that practical. How does that move me forward with our neighborhood? Well, this is the way that I think it does it. When we get the word of God inside of our minds and inside of our hearts, it just begins to transform us. And so if there's one thing that we can do to make our lives more neighborly, it might be to get the vision of God becoming our neighbor in Jesus. Maybe you want to memorize it in the paraphrase, the message. The word became flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. And as you go through your workplace, and as you go through your residence, wherever it is you live, whatever kind of neighborhood you have, begin to let that truth transform the way you see people around it. Maybe you say, God, would you just move this truth into my flesh and bone a little bit more? Would you let this strange glory move into the neighborhood through me? So I don't encourage you 
to just begin to memorize John chapter 1, verse 14. Just take it in. You can pick any translation you want. It doesn't matter to me. I don't know what the normal uh, word uh, translation that you use here at, at, uh, at Parklawn is, but to get the word of God inside of us is transformative for us. If we want to be neighbors, we need to have the vision of Jesus, the neighbor, and let that transform us. Here's the second thing I'd like to encourage you to do. It's this, to go for a walk. To go for a walk out in your neighborhood. I don't know about you, but sometimes my life closes in around me. Whether it was when I was newly married in a one-bedroom apartment, or at different times in different places, sometimes my life becomes all about me. And sometimes the first step to becoming a good neighbor is actually opening the door, stepping outside of your apartment, looking down the hallway and saying, oh my goodness, there are other people who live here. (laughs) And beginning to walk down that hallway of your apartment building and beginning to notice the people. And as you begin to notice the people, a good first step is this, to begin to pray as you walk through your neighborhood. As you're walking down the hallways, you begin to say, I don't even know that person's name. Lord, would you bless them and help me to learn their name? And as you just keep going, you begin to pray up and down that hallway and begin to see God do something different. Maybe you live in some sort of retirement community. Well, you can just begin to pray over the retirement community. We have a marvelous story of a time when we moved into our first house here in Milwaukee in 2003 And Kelly began reaching out to women, and we saw women coming to Christ through this Bible study. She started one after another. And we were thinking, man, she's got the anointing of an evangelist, and we didn't even know it. We bumped into somebody a little bit later uh, from where I worked, and they said, oh, I used to live in your neighborhood. And we said, well, well, where did you live? I said, right across the street from where you live. And I prayed for seven years that God would touch the people of that neighborhood. We said, well, we're reaping the answers to your prayer because the atheist couple who lives in the house you lived in have come to Christ. And the women around are turning to Jesus. Ooh, church, let me just say this. If we begin to go out on prayer walks in our neighborhood, we may not see the fruit in our lifetime, oh, but the prayers never return without their effect. Amen? If we begin to saturate our apartment buildings and our dorms and our retirement communities and our duplex areas and our neighborhoods with prayer, God begins to do something to stir something up. As we pray, he changes them and he also changes us. So memorize John 1.14. Begin to go out for a walk in your neighborhood. And then there's something else that I think you guys are doing at Park Lawn. I think we're doing it a little bit different. Do you have a little card that you're using with little white boxes where you guys can fill in? At Eastbrook, we're doing it. It kind of looks like this. It's a little bit different. Where you can, oh, yeah. This is our version of it. We're challenging people to get to know your neighbors. And begin to write each and every one of their names in these kind of boxes. And get to know them a little bit deeper over the course of the summer. It's summertime. I know it doesn't feel like it totally yet. Yesterday, it finally did. But if we begin to go out of the front door and say, Lord, help me to become flesh and bone faith in my neighborhood. Help your glory to shine through me and begin to pray for God to do things. Then actually begin to reach out to some of our neighbors and say, I want to get to know you. 
don't have to be too awkward about it, but maybe you can invite them over for a barbecue outside sometime. Maybe you can just say, hey, you want to join me on a walk through the neighborhood? Maybe there's some who have common cause in just keeping your neighborhood safe. You begin to walk around your neighborhood together and get to know their life and open up their story. Let them get to know you and you get to know them. But if we as people of God begin to step forward in tangible way and begin to say, in the literal neighborhood where I live, I'm going to let this be school for me in loving like Christ loves. God, I'm going to open my life that you would work through me so that folks might see and taste that the Lord is good. And I believe when we begin to do those things, powerful things will happen in our city, in our neighborhoods, and in our lives for the glory of God. I think it might be true. The word became flesh and bone here in Milwaukee, and it moved into our neighborhoods. Amen to that? Amen. Let me just pray for us and invite Bishop to come back. Oh, God, would you touch us? Have your way with us. Be glorified in our lives. Set us ablaze for your kingdom. Touch our neighborhoods. Touch our apartment buildings. Touch our dormitories. Uh, Touch, Lord, the retirement communities we live in. Touch the places where we have residents that you would be glorified. We sang earlier, my life is not my own. I surrender all. God, take us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bishop. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.